1: I wanna know something she uh, I think about everyone wanting me I hold in there, things really I have you seen you want in you hey. it's a ratio Okay though it's a ratio Okay though
0: That might be the best question I've ever been asked <laughs> You's a phenomenal person I mean you legendary I
1: am a fan of you, my brother. No, you can't call me Theo. <laughs> <laughs> but you used to get but, Theo. Uh, you used yeah, to walk down the street and they would just say, yeah, hey. and, I, and I'd be like, no, my name is Malcolm. So, so there's so there's this thing. There's been this thing like you know how I I don't like being associated with the Cosby Show or I get an attitude if you call me Theo. And my thing was always um, my name is Malcolm. I've, one, I've got a really cool name because my name is actually Malcolm Jamal. So I've got a cool name, but also Theo is not. Go- I'm going to be w- much more than Theo. So I'm not going to get caught up in that, and I don't want you to get caught up in that because Theo is not going to be the end-all, be-all. Because for me, at 15, 16 years old, to think that this show would be the height of my career, it's like I don't. That's not. So I don't want people to. Even when, back then, when I was signing autographs. and Sign it, Theo. And I'm like, no, I'm just because I'm not going to just be Theo. I'm going to do other things.
0: Malcolm Jamal Warner has been a star since the days of the Cosby Show. He was Theo Huxtable back then. Now he's a director, a father, an actor, a bass player who's got a new album out called "Hiding in Plain View," and. I guess you could say he's a bit of a renaissance man who's enjoying a long career and being somebody who a lot of people continue to look at as a role model. Let's get into it and we go real deep. It's my man, Malcolm Jamal Warner on Touré Show. I wanna tell you a little story by the first time we were in the same situation. Okay. We didn't we didn't meet, but um I don't know if you remember Jack and Jill had a party, or you do remember at the <laughs> Copa. Yes. You do remember. Yes. And the Cosby show, I think it was in the third season. I think we were juniors, we we're about the same age. Yeah. We were juniors in high school. Yeah, yeah. And Cosby Show was hot like fish <laughs> grease. So you're like the most famous young black man in America, right? And you know, the party's popping, and you walk in, and the dance floor was like below the main area, right? So you had to take like four four steps down to get into the. And I remember like, yo, 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 Malcolm to my horns here. Like, where? Like you came in surrounded by a ton of people, <laughs> walked on the dance floor with like arms out wide, like, yo, the man is here, like dancing before you got there. And like, as soon as you got to the dance floor, it's like everybody was dancing with you. All the girls were paying attention. All the dudes were paying attention. Like, yo, Malcolm's in the house, oh shit. And I'm there like, okay, cool, cool. Well, like, you know, cause I rock with dude. Cause That's Dio hilarious. was the man, you yeah, were cool. Yeah. <laughs> But, you know, it's like, okay, the party now belongs to him because he's a fucking man. And over in the other corner was Tempest Bledsoe, right? Like, Oh, wow. Just off by
1: herself. Oh, that was a different Jack and jail party that we crashed. <laughs> <Yo>. <laughs> so I'm like, yo, I'm going to go say what's up to her. Oh, wow. So I went over
0: to her. You know, I got my little swag on and I went up to her I'm like, hi, how are you? Would you like to dance? And very nicely she said no. <laughs> and I'm like, wow. And now I feel like super small because she dissed me and he's over here like everybody cares about what he's
1: doing. Oh wow.
0: Like, okay, so this is how this is going down. All right, cool, cool. But that's yeah. funny. That's, yeah.
1: that's funny. I had a um my buddy uh Claude Brooks, um, actor, he's, you know, producer, TV producer now, but uh we used to go to professional children's school right and uh so you know we used to talk about how when we got older we're talking about you know how we were me and Claude were the hardest we were the hardest kids at professional children's school like we're so hard we we crashed jack and jill parties (laughs) (laughs) oh my god they
0: wanted you there that's hilarious there's no crashing like please come in we love you (laughs) But, I mean, that time was hot for you, right? Everyone loved you, right? I mean, like, it, it must have been a, just a beautiful time yeah, to was. be
1: new. It was. And to be in New York. And to, uh, yeah, I mean, because the show was shot in New York and just the whole New York vibe. Like I was saying uh, before we started, it, it's very different growing up on TV in L.A., Sure. Like, I'm so glad that's not my experience. Okay. You know, we when we first started shooting in uh, the first couple of seasons, we were in Brooklyn Avenue and East 14th Street. The uh, studio didn't have a commissary, so at lunch we had to go out and get our you know get our food. Um, and then when we when we moved over to Kaufman Astoria, their commissary was whack. <laughs> and since we were used to going out and getting our food, we go out and get our food. Um, so there was something really beautiful about being in New York and not in a Hollywood bubble. Mm. Right? So and the beautiful thing about New York, you know, which occurred to me even as a you know as a kid was mm. wow, no matter what your socioeconomic status is, no matter where you live, you walk through New York, you're facing realities yeah. daily. Yeah. And I think that had a really profound impact on on all of us growing up on the show because we weren't in LA where our best friend was on the stage, you know, next door you on their own life. show. We were real life. Yeah. So wait, yeah. so tell me how that played out, that you're in real life. Uh as you're a superstar. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh it gave me a uh it, it allowed me to be this, I don't even, But it allowed me me to be famous uh, and enjoy everything that came along with it. But because of what the show represented, I understood what the show represented. I understood the impact of what that show was doing, uh, you know, to the culture, for the culture. So when I would walk through the world, I knew that I was not just representing my mother and my father, but I was also representing the show and what the show stood for. So
0: does that mean you felt like, yo, I got to stay on the straight and
1: narrow? Because- Not the straight and narrow, but I got to keep my shit on the low, <laughs> right? And I can't be a knucklehead. And because I because we we're in New York and there weren't other shows shooting in New York, all my friends were real friends. Right, right. You know, I had a couple of actor friends. So it keeps you grounded. keeps very grounded. Um, so I'm really thankful for having that kind of uh But you said parents. you had a good time. I had a good time. What, so what does that a, mean? A, a, what does that mean? <laughs> what, what does that mean? You know everything that what, what comes with uh, the the cool things that come with being famous, um, you know, and, and and you know because of the parents I had, you know, I wasn't I wasn't into drugs, I wasn't even smoking weed, um, but I was able to, you know, I, I'm I'm in Latin Quarter. Yes, uh, you know, too young. Yes, to be there. Legendary you know, hip hop club, man. Yeah, I'm in the area. I'm in yes. you know Studio 54, and being able to, you know, be in these spots, but again, not be a knucklehead, but to really be able to enjoy, um, the access, mm. with and being able to be and be able to to to, to have to enjoy all of that responsibly. So girls are coming easily. Oh what? <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. But also, but interestingly enough, also having um, a pretty good uh, judgment of character early on. Interesting. So I wasn't, you know, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't with the chicken heads. I wasn't with the skeezers because I knew, I knew what that was about. So I was able to navigate. Uh, now, now looking back at it, I'm pretty impressed at the how I, how I was able to navigate Interesting. through all of that.
0: Because you must have had a lot of energy coming at you, girls throwing themselves yeah. at you, or just letting you know, letting you know. Yeah,
1: yeah. And I think there's there's something with, and again, maybe the, you know the confidence of 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 the show and the global impact on the show. I didn't feel the need to. You know, hit everything that moved. Mm, you know, interesting. I didn't feel. I, I didn't. I, I didn't. I had. I had access, so I was able to be. I could be meticulous about interesting who I wanted to Choosy. hang out with. Yeah, interesting. Yeah.
0: Interesting, because a lot of young men would not be choosy in that situation.
1: That's why, as we talk about it now, and I look back, I'm like, wow, I'm impressed. <laughs> I'm impressed a little old me. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm impressed. I'm like, I'm disappointed. I could have done so much more.
0: <laughs> what was I thinking?
1: When, so when, I saw, when, when Entourage came out, right, mm-hmm. uh, one of my closest friends, uh, Chris Hahn, he's one of my pre-Cosby friends. We went to junior high school together in L.A. Uh, and when Entourage came out, and I watched Entourage, I remember calling him. I was like, dude. Some best friend you are, we wasted my 20s. <laughs> <laughs> All this shit we could have been doing. Damn, man. And by the time, we were in our 30s, so we were too old to, right, right. to, to do any of that shit then. Right.
0: <laughs> That's hysterical. Um, I want to talk about a couple moments from the show that just are unforgettable. I mean, like the Ray Charles yeah. night and day yeah. is, I think, maybe the moment that most stands out. Mm. to a lot of people because it's just such a beautiful moment and it's kind of like that's the family that I wish that I lived in where we'd get together and do shit like that and um, it was just such a beautiful moment talk about that
1: scene I don't remember a whole lot about that scene um particularly because I remember being nervous because we know we had to do this lip sync and um I remember just wanting to get it right. At least that's my recollection of it now, because as I'm talking and I'm thinking and I'm, I'm visualizing what that scene is, I was having a good time. Yeah. Uh, like, this shit was was cool. So I, I'm not 100% sure. Uh, I'm not 100% sure what I can say about the scene, except that, you know, I it was fun to shoot. And for me, it's still fun to watch. Because I feel like I, I was looking kind of smooth coming down the stairs. Yeah, yeah. But when we see Keisha, though. Oh, my God. Baby! Oh, my God. Baby! Like that's. Murdered it. Yeah, yeah, that's great. That's good. Yeah, I have I very, fond, fond, very fond memories of the show. And when I watch the show now, I still feel like, you know, I'm proud to have been on it, but I also still enjoy it. We live in a
0: world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get your podcasts. It seems to me from the outside that it was this great team. And if it was your episode or your scene, you did your thing. Yeah. You know, uh, uh, Keisha would crush her scenes. You know, Tempest would get, you know, Lisa Bonet. I mean, Lisa Bonet, had yeah. yeah, I was yeah, in love with her. Yeah. Um, all, you know, but Felicia would crush her scenes, of course. You know, Cosby is murdering his scene. Yeah. So, it was, did did it feel like, yo, we're a team, and any of us can murder anything you put on that page?
1: I don't know if it was that, if it was that, that conscious, um, but we all. We all we, we all knew our part like like we we knew it was an ensemble like we knew it was Mr Cosby's show but uh, we also knew that we were very important players yeah on the show yeah um but he was also clear you know at any time any character could get hit by a bus <laughs> right so like okay like you know we're on the number one show. Everything, but um, there was never like we just we just we just all enjoyed it. So like no one no one felt the need to be a dick, right? Um, and, I, and I I know for me because uh, because Mr. Cosby didn't come to work with an ego, uh, and 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 he was the only one who had a career that warranted coming to work like that. Mm. If he didn't come to work like that. There was no need for no, no excuse for any of us to come to work. So he set okay. a good tone. as he far really as did humility. Yeah, yeah, and we and we got to a point where we would, we would work. Um, it typically takes five days to do a sitcom. We got to a point where we were doing it in four four and a half days. So we really? would tape on Thursday and Thursday night after the taping, he would go get on this plane, uh, either go to Tahoe or Vegas or Atlantic City. He'd go do stand up Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And still be the first one at work on Monday. Wow! So even that kind of work ethic. Because now, he, now he's on the number one show in the world. So you can only imagine what he's now getting paid for his standup. Sure. So even then, you know, it, it occurred to me as like, oh, okay, so when you're hot, that's the time when you should be busting your ass. Mm-hmm. And I got that. I, I got that early on, and and his work ethic uh made a, a profound impact on on me one of the other moments that stand
0: out to me is um I believe you and Lisa's character Denise got into a car accident and then you <coughs> ended up meeting Stevie, Stevie Wonder in the studio which was like a mind-blowing episode yeah and that must have been fun as hell
1: that was great he was two days late to work. <laughs> <laughs> and that's and and that's when i understood somebody explained to me they were like yeah stevie's you know his sense of time no it's different it's just yeah it's he's really on his own well
0: actually i i talked to some of the guys who were engineering for him and they were like well yes because he doesn't see he works on his own time so you got to be ready to engineer for him at 3 4 5 a.m whatever because he's not working on the normal circadian rhythms because he doesn't see the sun yeah which is really, really
1: interesting. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, yeah, and and if, look, and if, and if you can make that your life, and make everyone, I mean, hey, who, adjust. Who, who who's gonna <laughs>
0: say Stevie, you're too late. Yeah. We don't want you anymore. Like you, you will wait two, three days for Stevie yeah. one. Dude. And we did, yeah. <laughs> but that was fun as hell.
1: It was, yeah. And 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 the whole, uh, and I love. Uh, Whenever Quest Love talks about it, mm. um, because I remember the Sinclair and I remember the the, the sampler and the, you know, j- j- jamming on one, jamming yes. on one. Yes. And I love how, you know, uh, Quest talks about how that was a moment in hip hop. Sure. Because, like, sure. the next week everybody, you know, they got a cash and they figured out how to do the sampling thing. Sure. Um, And how much of an influence— you know that that had on hip hop.
0: I, I want to talk about the show a little bit more. But a moment in hip hop was you on Saturday Night Live with Run DMC as the fucking guests, and I remember sitting in the living room like, "Yo, Malcolm and Run is the Black SNL. Let's go!" And it was an amazing episode. Spike Lee, Spike Lee. had a had a had a had a moment in that. He had a little yeah. short film in that. Yeah. It was funny, as it like how exciting was that night like creating that black snl
1: moment yeah that whole thing when they told me uh you know that i had the choice of who the musical act was going to be i was like run dmc and the highlight for me though like the show you know the show was a show but the highlight for me is I'm rehearsing my um rehearsing my opening monologue and my opening monologue was about learning this 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 new dance that i couldn't quite get and it was the wop and you know and, and it and the, you know, part of the, the bit is Dana Carvey comes up and he's trying to show me how to do the WAP. But it was a real thing because I remember being at Latin court, like Latin court is where I learned how to do the WAP. It took me like three weeks to, to get it. Okay. But, so we were rehearsing and um, and uh, Run DMC come in, they come a little early and uh, they're sitting down and we're doing my, my monologue and the band starts playing the song that, you know, we're doing the WAP to whatever and the band stops. And Run goes, yo, D, yo, you hear that? They playing motherfucking my melody. It was Eric B and everybody kills my melody. I was like, that's the song I wanted to. So the, S, the SNL band, Run DMC comes in and the SNL band is playing my melody. And Run looks at me and he's like, you did that? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> he gave me that look. I'm like fifteen years old and run uh, I, d- Joseph Simmons gives me the look like, yeah, I got the look of approval yo. from Run yo. yeah, that was yo, I know
0: exactly how you feel because <laughs> the first feature I did for Rolling Stone was Run DMC, mm-hmm. down with the King before that I had been doing record reviews. Mm-hmm. They're like, you want to do like yeah, they're they're making a comeback. fuck yeah. So I listened to all the records, came up with my questions. Remember we sat in the room, us and Jay, Ron, D. And I just did a crazy interview with them. and Just, just high energy, keeping it flowing. No amazing questions, just, and, and when it finished, Ron stood up and he said, dope interview. And walked out of the room, I'm like, oh, Ron enjoyed interviewing me? Oh, you right. can't die now. Right. I'm good. Right, I'm man. good. Yeah, and man. he was the officiant at my wedding. Oh, wow. Oh, and he took it mad seriously man. because, you know, before you get married, you go sit with the, the minister, and he gives you the little, like, you know, do this to stay married, don't do that, whatever, whatever. And I remember him, him and Justine talking about, like, you know, what you want, like, look at the cover of Ebony. That's what's in the box. Oh, wow. Stay wow. within the box, wow. like exactly. just stay with each other, be good to each other da, 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 da. it was um he was he took it very seriously That's and dope. it was it was amazing. it was amazing. but to get I mean, because we loved him from when we were little, yeah. right like 12 yeah. thirteen they started yeah. blowing up when we were twelve. Yeah. so to get him to be like, yo, good job, yeah, like yeah. Pff, yeah. what because yeah. yeah. you so don't I, you I, can't, I, people you can't understand how hot they were there was no it was no argument. nobody didn't love run DMC. Yeah. Yeah, there was no
1: controversy. Well, there, well, there were some white people who didn't. Was, <laughs> were, I'm not even talking you know, about them. But but it was funny. Like when you think about it, that was the that was the time where Run DMC were hard.
0: Yes. Oh yeah. They were considered oh, hard. Yeah. Oh my god. Right? Oh my god. We're we're <laughs> nervous about them doing a show because uh, who knows what <laughs> how a gang element might show up. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Little did did we all know. (laughs) It's going to get way worse than that. You think about um, how the experience of doing Cosby has transformed
1: your life. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It wasn't, when I started acting, I was doing theater. And I was doing theater because my mother was always looking for, for things for me to do. Uh, I outside of just coming home from school and hanging out with my friends. so I was playing basketball and one time uh, one year basketball season was over, my mother's friend suggested you know this, this acting workshop in, in, in Sentinel Park in Inglewood, California. And I go and I, I, di- I audition, I get in and now I'm doing theater. And it's fun, right? Like it wasn't it, I wasn't my experience wasn't my parents grooming me to be an actor. Um, I was, you know, in, in this community theater to keep my mother's foot out of my ass, <laughs> you know. And then I ended up getting an, an agent because an agent came down to the theater and wanted to sign me. And even the, the first year she came down, my mom had gone back to school. She was in her last year of school. And uh, she basically said to the agent, look, I'm in school. I don't have time to take him around to auditions. So, you know, so thank you, but no thank you. Uh the following year, I'm doing another play. Same agent, you know, comes down and comes back, and she's like, "Okay, you're done with school. I want to sign your son. You have no excuse. I want to sign your son."
0: You must have been good if this agent was yeah. checking for you.
1: Yeah. What yeah. were you What were you
0: doing that at that point? People were like, "Yo, he's got something." I think
1: it's, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to be coy or. I say, like, like that the, the it yeah factor yeah like it's a it's a real thing yeah like you like you know how you can see kids and you can see kids whose light has been dimmed mm. and you see kids who have the light mm. and have that that thing and I was one of those kids you know in that whole group who who had that that thing that light yeah and I just enjoyed. You know, I didn't know what I was doing, but I just I enjoyed the process. I enjoyed being on stage. I enjoyed, uh, and and you know, all of that obviously came through. You know, and even so, even when I look at, even when I look at Cosby, I look at like those you know those first couple of seasons of Cosby. I didn't know what I was doing. I come from theater, um, but as an adult, I can look back at the show and understand what people saw in Theo and why people liked Theo. And there was that, there was that freshness. There was that innocence. There was, you know, Theo was played by this kid who wasn't groomed to be an actor. So there's this a, there was a different, there's a different energy there. And when I look at that show and I go, wow, you know, I was, you know, I was made to, to do that role.
0: I mean, there was a realness to Theo There was a realness to the whole thing. It didn't seem like, you know, I'm doing a sitcom and I say this line that nobody would actually say and get a laugh. And, oh, you're so silly, Charlie. Like, it felt very real. I felt like, yo, this is my house. Like, I have one sister, but I'm like, yo, this seems like our house. Right? And it seems real and yet aspirational. Yes. Like, we want to live up to what they they are doing. Yeah. And yet they are real. Yeah. But, you, but Theo was – he actually he, – he he grows a lot because early on, he's a screw-up. Yeah. Right? We love him, yeah. right? The, fam, the parents love him, but they're kind of like, come on, let's yeah. go. And then, right, you, you kind of grow up, kind of become smoother, cooler. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> did you sprinkle as, that in or they kind of – As Malcolm did. <laughs> um, no, I think, you know – the turn, I think the turning point for, for Theo was when they diagnosed him with dyslexia. Mm. And that was at the same time Ennis was diagnosed with dyslexia. Interesting. So, so really that whole thing was based, you know, on, on a real relationship between Mr. Cosby and Ennis. Um, like the whole, you know, the whole regular people getting D's in school— that was Innis's that was that real experience. And
0: they were so happy. They were celebrating <laughs> yes. in this amazing way about, like, yes, dyslexia. And you're like laughing with them. <laughs> and at the same time, you're like, this is ridiculous that they're celebrating. But we understand why they're yeah, celebrating because now we have an understand, Now we have a yeah. reason. It's not your fault. Right. I'm not dumb. Right. And yeah, we can man. work this out. And nobody was talking about stuff like that
1: on television. Not at all. People. Uh, will still tell me that it was because of your show mm. that I found out that I had dyslexia. Deep, yeah, yeah. I mean, that show is influential in so many ways and on so many levels. Um, that I'm just, I'm just, I'm so proud of having been on that, on that show. Um, no, you can't call me Theo, <laughs> <laughs> but you used to get but, Theo. Uh,
0: you used yeah. to walk down the street and they would
1: just say... Yeah, yeah. And, I, and I'd be like, no, my name is Malcolm. So so there's, so there's this thing, there's been this thing like, you know, how I, I don't like being associated with the Cosby show or I get an attitude if you call me Theo. And my thing was always, um, my name is Malcolm. I've One, I've got a really cool name because mm. my name is actually Malcolm Jamal. So I've got a cool name, but also Theo is not going... I'm going to be w- much more than Theo. Mm. So... I'm not going to get caught up in that. And I don't want you to get caught up in that because Theo is not going to be the end all be all for me. Because for me, at 15, 16 years old, to think that this show would be the height of no, my career, it was like, I don't, that's not what I want. So I don't want people to, well, even when, back then when I was signing autographs and people say, well, sign it, Theo. And I'm like, no. Interesting. Because I'm not going to just be Theo, I'm going to do other things. When you look
0: back on it, Because I know when I look back on things that I did and I'm like, oh, you made a mistake there. You should have done that better. Are you critical or are you just like, wow, look at that young man?
1: Not anymore. I used to be critical. Yeah. But then I got to a point where I had finally become so far removed from the show that I got to the point where I was finally able to watch it and enjoy it as a viewer. And that that was at the point where I was able to see, oh, now I see white people like Theo. Because during, we were doing it, I remember feeling like, this is corny. Theo's corny. Um, And part of that had to do with going out in the world and being around haters Mm. and not understanding that they were haters because that wasn't a word then. But when people, you know, there were people who were like, oh, you're you're America's favorite black white boy. Mm -mm. Um, It's like those kind of comments – I never got Oreo from Theo. No, I think it was just people who were just jealous or, or or hating or whatever. Vanessa, you know? <laughs> maybe a little, and that's no no that's shade. Funny. That's funny. No shade, but like she read a little bit
0: more. Like, is she right? Just as a character, right? But but I see.
1: But, what but, people, I see, I see that. You know what I'm saying? I see
0: that. Yeah. But like Denise is super black. You, I mean, I didn't. I never thought
1: Oreo. No, Theo. not at all. No, but I think I think that was just a kid's way of being a dick. Sure, you know. And for me, you know, even back then, I was, you know, it was, it's the thing that we all do. Like I talk about it on on, on my record, right? You can be around, you know, ten people who love you, and it's the one person over there who doesn't. And that's the person we care about.
0: Oh well, that's a performer, you know? right? The one person who's not clapping. Like, well, how, wh- what did that's I well, do? Yeah. How can I get you to clap? Yeah. What can I, right now? Right, I I go to colleges and do a speech. And there's one person who seems to me now I'm doing a whole speech to you. Like, what can I do to win you over? Because I already got them. Yeah. But like, we're like, I need
1: everybody to love me. It can't be 99, 99%. 99 percent is a failure. Yeah. So growing up like that, and paying attention to you know those idiotic comments, I'd come back like, Theo should be cooler. Like, you know, I want Theo to be cool. And, and I just felt he was corny. And like I said, I got to a point where I was far removed enough from the show where I was able to enjoy the show and go, no, oh, he was great. That was, you know, that was his charm. Like he didn't, have, he didn't have to be, you know, the, the cool bad boy. No, no. You know, but I, but during it, you know, he, it's hard to see it when you're in the middle of it. There's, um, I forget who it was. It might have been
0: Russell Westbrook. Somebody wore in public a questionable shirt, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And I posted it on Twitter, just the shirt. And I said, Gordon Gartrell. And I'm like, let's see what happened. And like everybody immediately, like, yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> we-. I'm like, I don't even mean, need context. Just yeah. say yeah. that and like. Bam, everybody in a certain age, going, and you know, I mean, anytime Lisa was on screen, I think that, like, my eyes weren't working straight, because I'm like, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, but do you remember that scene very well, and that whole, that whole shirt oh, moment man. was yeah. an epic scene, yeah. and you coming out like, <laughs> with the yeah. arm, like, what the fuck, yeah. this shirt is so fucked up, it was amazing
1: comedy. He's like, well, tuck it in, it's tucked into my socks. <laughs> yeah I remember that <laughs> yeah yeah that was
0: that was it was a great experience what did you what do you think you learned about the essence of
1: comedy doing that show Mr Cosby was always about the truth go for the truth because if you go for the comedy it looks like you're going for the comedy interesting yeah interesting um and that's always had a a, a profound impact upon me uh, in terms of my approach to comedy um, and it's probably why I was never, you know, farce comedies never really, they've never really done it for me, mm. uh, you know, back then or even now, because there's a, it's, it's just a different level of comedy, like no shade or anything. But I think because of the school I came from where it was about, you know, let's go for the honesty because you're going to find, uh, you can find honesty in any, you can find comedy in any situation. Just go for the honesty. Mm. What do you love about acting? The opportunity to get inside someone else's head, mm. to become somebody else, to be somebody else. So, but so I I enjoy that, uh, but there are also There are actors who are, you know, much better than me and much stronger than me, um, but a lot of those actors need to be other people. Okay. Right? So, um, So I believe we live in a dysfunctional society, right? We're all dysfunctional individuals, and the thing that artists have is their art can be, their scapegoat. Okay. So for a lot of creatives, that dysfunction fuels their craft. Right? I mean, Michael Prince, sure. De Niro, Pacino, sure. Um I don't have that. Okay. Um but I think those really amazing artists, I think a lot of them they they have that they need that art. They need their craft to be the scapegoat from whatever in their life.
0: it al- the art allows them to escape their life.
1: Yeah. And, it, and 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 so that it so it fuels their creativity. Yes. Right? Yes. So I don't have that. I I love it, but it's not like I need that experience because I need to escape what whatever the fuck is happening here. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah.
0: So, you like your home life. Yeah. You like your current life. Yeah. I'm not trying to escape my life. I, right? Like, I, I enjoy stepping into someone else's shoes, yeah. but I'm not, I don't have trauma that I'm running away exactly. from. Yeah, 100%. So, what does that mean? Are you saying that separates you from others who are like, I need this?
1: No, I've always wondered, um, like, wow, I don't know if I'll ever make the heat of greatness like Pacino, De Niro, Fishburne. (laughs) Um, Because I don't know if I necessarily have that. Interesting. You know, which I don't, and that's just my own, you know, that's my own thing. Like the thing I love about uh, The Resident is, you know, I play, you know, uh, one of the top cardiothoracic surgeons in the country. And, uh, Dr. Austin is arrogant, he's brash, he's a dick, he doesn't care what you think about him, he's going to tell you the truth, and however it lands upon you, that's on you, and he doesn't give a fuck what people think about him. Um, He is the guy I don't allow myself to be in real life, Mm. right? So I love, and it's one of my, it's, it's, probably my, my most favorite character right now. And it's people who know my body of work. It's their favorite character Interesting. that I've done. But it's great to be able to step into, uh, you know, this, this role and, like, not give a fuck about what people think about me. Because as an artist, we want to be in that place where we don't want to care what people think about us. But the success of our art greatly depends upon what people think about
0: us. I mean, you have to be aware of what the audience is getting from you, right? Like it's the, I think it's the dream of the artist to just be like, I just do my art. I don't worry about the audience. Yeah. Of course you worry about the audience. Of course you want them to communicate, to catch what you're putting out. Yeah. So you, I have to constantly be thinking like, if I do this, how will that be read? Right, yes, yeah. Right, right. so yeah. you're in conversation with the audience.
1: Yeah, yeah, and if I say this, this might this might turn somebody you know, off, or, or, you know, this person might not like me if I say this. So to be able to play, to be able to, to, to step into, you know, uh, this character's shoes who, that's not even a thought. That thought never crosses his mind what someone thinks of him. Yeah. So I get to go in and I get to be a dick and I get to do all the things that I don't do. What do you hate about acting? The politics.
0: Mm, of getting the role or once you have the role, all of it, all of it.
1: What does that mean? The politics. So this is an industry where let's take the audition process. You come in and you have to bring your A game. Oh my god! Knowing that you may not get this role based on things that have nothing to do with your A game. You might be too tall. Might be too short. Might be too dark. Might be too light. They may decide they want to go Hispanic, or they want to go woman, or you may remind the casting director of their brother-in-law, mm.
0: right? Mm. So
1: you know that, but you still have to come in and bring your A game every single time, mm-hmm. and you get your A game gets rejected day after day after day. As much as I have worked. Uh, I, I mean, I, you know, I've, I've been Done, fortunate, tons of shows, right? I, uh, I've got a great track record, right? Yeah. I I'm, I'm fortunate and blessed enough to work as much as I've worked my career. I probably have an 85 to 90% rejection rate. Yeah. Yeah. That's, like,
0: that's, and that's about normal for, yeah. for a, a strong working actor.
1: Yeah. So daily, not daily, but you know, so you 90% up, of the time I go into an audition, bring my A game and I don't get it not based on my a game it's
0: not a meritocracy we're not looking for the best actor
1: you know right theoretically we are you know theoretically
0: wait if you if you if you audition or you tried out for the lakers we are looking for the the best best, best shooting guard we can get yeah if you try out for i don't know what star trek 17 right
1: We're not looking for the best actor. We're looking for somebody who fits into this group and, but or or, but so so I I I, I won't make it make it that blanket of a statement. Um, Sure, the the idea is you want the best actor, but this best actor who we really like, just not right for what we need for this role. Now, how
0: much does Theo fit into that? That the casting director or the director or whatever may say, love Malcolm, mm-hmm. but I don't want him to walk in and the audience think, oh, there's Theo.
1: I'm sure that had worked against me. I don't think that's a concern now. But, you know, in my years, I mean, Cosby was over. We wrapped in 93. So I'm sure along my journey that kept me from, you know, getting roles. I'm sure that's kept me from even being able to get an audition. Sure, you know, but yeah, that's 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 but that's the you know that's the you know one of the cons of you know being fortunate enough to be have been on a highly successful sure recognizable show. I mean William
0: Shatner you know, and others who are fortunate enough to be on the gigantic shows of our time yeah. talk about that like, well, then you know it it has an effect in other
1: ways. Yeah. So you were in Suits for two years.
0: Yeah, man. Did you work with Meghan Markle?
1: Yeah. Yeah, what was that you know, like? It was cool. We didn't really have scenes together, so I'd see her, and she was really nice, really cool. Um, you know, uh, my best friend I was talking about, Chris, uh, he's a stage manager. He used to stage manage Deal or No Deal, uh-huh. and Megan used to be on <laughs> Deal or No Deal. Uh-huh. He's had more interaction with her than than I did, but she was always cool.
0: Let me ask you something. Did you know she was black? Yeah. I mean, like, I'm like, yo, I got black dar, so we see it. But instead of, like, I can see where a
1: lot of people be like, I didn't know. The great thing is that she knew. She She knows. knows. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, she seems like an amazing chick. Um, Yo, Malcolm and Eddie was some epic shit, because Eddie Griffin is just an extraordinary talent. I hung out with him a little bit after uh, Paul Mooney's Wake. Okay. And he's just amazing and hysterical and just lightning and electric. And he told a story there about him and Mooney doing a show and the promoters didn't want to pay him. And he was like, You get the car, I'll go to the promoter and get the money from him and run out the back door. That's it funny. was it was this amazing story. That's he's funny. extraordinary. That's
1: funny. Yeah, he's got, he's got a lot of good stories.
0: I mean, like just Working with him, I mean, it seems like just just turn the camera on and, and shit's gonna happen. It'll be good.
1: Yeah, yeah. We um it's funny, uh we we hated each other.
0: <laughs> what?
1: We did When? When you were doing the show? During the show. What? Why yeah. did you hate each other? We had uh we just we came from two different schools of comedy. Okay. Right? Um And we be actors, stand up, or or philosophical? Uh, Bill Cosby, Richard Pryor. Okay, yep, definitely. Right, definitely. Um, And we just had different, you know, I I had come from, you know, eight years of working under Mr. Cosby's wing at NBC, at, you know, uh, an environment where Mr. Cosby made sure everyone was uber aware of the images. Of black people that we're putting across the airwaves, yeah. And I watched him from season one to season eight run that show. I watched him deal with writers. All of the stereotypical things that you never saw on that show was not because the writers were not writing them. Mm. The writers were writing them. Because you had white writers. Yeah, yeah. And we, we, every every now and then we would have you know black writer, but mostly um, mostly white.
0: Yeah, but 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 it was Cosby who was like, no, we're not doing that.
1: Yeah. Because it was, it, was, it was his show. Is there an example of something you
0: remember of like they threw out something at you guys? And I, he played I,
1: can, it I can't remember specifically, but but just overall, he had to say to them every, almost, almost every week, no, that is not this show. I mean, that I remember is not-
0: from the beginning, and my mom held this, it was so important to her that initially he was supposed to be a janitor. Yeah. And he was like, no, I want to be a doctor. His wife. Right, Camille she was, is, like, yes, dunked, she was like, right? yeah. so so now we're aspirational, yeah. right? It's not another uh, uh,
1: uh, sort of show where the black people are working class. Exactly. We are upper exactly. class and it's aspirational. And, and, and also, if you remember, that, sh- what set that show apart is it was, the comedy was not predicated upon being black. Right, it was a story. Black sitcoms yes. are, the humor is predicated upon being black yes so that invites the stereotypes so that's
0: the malcolm vision yeah what's what, so what's go
1: what's what's eddie well remember you remember upn right right so upn's everything you UPN call the you people's for, network right 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 you pick a nigga <laughs> um he <laughs> said that too yeah yeah uh with United Plantation Network, like it was, it was a bunch of. I them. didn't hear that one. Before. Yeah, man. So, my thing was, okay, they know where I come from. They know I come from a a, a history making show that shows that black people don't that we we don't have to be stereotypical to be funny. Right. So I'm thinking, okay, you know, I know how that show runs. They know where I come from. So we're trying to do something different. Um, we're not trying to do the whole stereotypical thing, and and, and Eddie, I, you know, Eddie and I, we seem to agree that that's what we were, you know, we're on the same page on that. Um, but once we started doing the show, I found myself fighting, um, you know, writers, producers, studio, network, because they were they were trying to do the UPN brand, mm. and that's not what I was there for. Um, and no one really cared about what I cared about in terms of, but what, what 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 are we doing? Like 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 we're not trying to be stereotypical with our humor. So we fought with writers, you know, constantly. Eddie was like, "Nigga, let's just be funny." His actual words. Um, so yeah, yeah. So so that was just kind of our. I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying, I'm trying to be funny, man. I'm trying to get my nigga on. Like, come on, come on.
0: Um, and you're like, no. <laughs> let's put out a certain, yeah, image that's helpful. But nobody cared about that.
1: The mm-hmm. network didn't care about it,
0: right? So we. So you're alone holding up this flag. Yeah, yeah. I and, was, and, I was Don Eddie, Quixote. And Eddie is leading the other side of like, let's just, let's just get. Let's just get it done.
1: And they're like, you know, oh, well, he's funny one. So then they started writing to him. Mm. Right? They started writing to – so – but so I say that um, – so there were just things we didn't, you know, and, and we were, you know, we were both young. Um, you know, we were both young. We both thought we were the shit. Um, <laughs> you know, and in our own worlds, we were the shit. Yeah. You know, um. But the, the thing that—so I, I tell that whole story, but what's really important about me telling that story is every tape night, no matter what kind of argument we had during the day, before we went out in front of the audience, we would get together, we would hold hands, and we would pray. Okay. So we could have been fighting all day. But now it's time to do the show. Okay, come on. We'd hold hands, we'd pray. Just the two. Of we'd you. Go do the- yeah. Yeah. And we'd go do the show. But
0: that didn't solve all the problems. No. When it you didn't. get on the set, you still are like
1: But now but but now we're but but now so we, we spent the week going through all that, but now we're in front of the audience, you know, we made whatever changes, you know, we made. Now it's time to, you know, to do the show and be a united front. And even um you know, and there were times, you know, so there are also times where, uh, even though we may have disagreed on a lot, and you know, there were certain things that we felt like we needed to have. There were times where we had, where we were a united front against the writers. See, right? it's interesting because I know I've
0: done shows where I felt like my philosophy and vision is at odds with somebody else who yeah. is here with me. Yeah, and. You walk, you, can, you can kumbaya before the thing, mm-hmm. but when it finishes and you're like, that is not exactly the way I think it should have gone. Mm-hmm. And so you walk away frustrated. Mm-hmm. And we've talked about this. So I can't keep telling you the same thing. Mm-hmm. And then especially if the ratings aren't
1: yeah.
0: where you need them to be yeah. and you're like, okay, the ship is slowly sinking. Yeah. And this could be because you're not doing it right. Now you're like, well, you're
1: fucking up my paycheck. Mm-hmm. So is that starting to come into it? Yeah, yeah, hundred uh, percent. The the and even when we were, even though we were at odds, what we both understood is we get to a hundred episodes, we're going to have a sweet ass syndication deal. So that was also part of it. We were like, hey, fuck how fuck however we feel about one another. Gotta make it. Work. We're going. We're going to get this money. We're going to get this hundred episodes. Ultimately. They got, they cut us at 88 because they were, you know, and, and Eddie was on his thing. So they were tired. They were tired of me fighting with the writers about their writing. And then they were tired of Eddie's shenanigans, which means which, what, whatever. I mean, you know, just, just, you know, Eddie is a nut. And I mean that in the, uh, uh I,
0: mean, I imagine the brothers showing up late, the brothers show all up, of that, whatever, all of that, all of
1: that. All of it. And that. you're like, I'm on time. Like I'm fuck. Dead. Right, right. So that's a So it was a it was it was it was a it was a miserable experience. Oh no. And I have my version. Eddie has, you know, his version. I'm sure he's told countless you know, have you several reconciled? different child? Me and Eddie, we're cool as fuck now. Now. But so we're you had cool.
0: you had a come you had a
1: mountain top moment just, at some point? You or? know what? You know, social media is like, you know, there are a lot of fucked up things about social media, but there are also a lot of good things about social media. Somehow me and Eddie ended up, you know, we DM all the time. Okay. And somehow, you know, we were, you know, and, and we're probably first DMing about, oh, some just some bullshit, some surface shit, whatever. Yeah. And then after a while, we just, like, we got into, like, a, a, a real, like, grown man back and forth. And we, you know, talked about, you know, sometimes, you know, during that time, and we both apologized for, you know, where we were because we, you know, we, like I said, we were both young. We were both, you know, in our minds, we were both the shit, you know. Um, and so, so I guess I can say Instagram DM <laughs> reconciled Malcolm and Eddie. So, but you know, we're grown. We're grown men now, you know, yeah. and we've had journeys. And well, you're not um, tied
0: to each other anymore, so yeah, it's a little that. easier. Yeah,
1: sure. So wait, sure. when you talk about getting
0: to a hundred, are you still getting Cosby show checks?
1: yeah but wow. but so but, but 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 so it's different um a hundred episodes for syndication, yeah, when you have uh back end when you have part ownership of the show, that's when the syndication deals you're getting a percentage of that syndication deals. yeah um and Eddie and I both had ownership we have part ownership of the show, so we have back end. So that that syndication deal or those syndication deals that happened over and over, we would have gotten a whole lot of money. With Cosby, none of us had back end. Well, one, you know, when we did our deals, we knew nothing about back end. And even if we had, we didn't have any leverage to negotiate back end. So so residuals are different from points. Right, right. So, yeah, you know, our residuals now, though, like, I don't know, probably 12 years ago, I got a first season residual check for $64 for an episode. <laughs> 12 years ago? Yeah. So who knows what that 64 is? 64 for the whole first season? No, 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 no. For, for, episode,
0: for, for one, an episode. For an episode. $64 for one episode? For one episode, yeah.
1: So at this point, so there was a time where, you're talking eight years, so... That lump sum of money that you would get from residuals uh, was some really nice padding. Didn't mean you, you didn't have to work for the rest of your life, but it was some, it was a nice padding. But the thing about residuals, what people may not know is, every time an episode airs, you get a percentage of what your original paycheck was, okay. and that show was you know has aired a million times. So every time it airs, the Check. So that's the sixty-four dollar check for that episode. The next time the episode aired, the next check might have been would have been a percentage of that. Okay. So, uh, a little something. It's yeah, it's not it's not what people think it is. Like we well, think nice about. Nice to have it. a check roll in for I didn't do anything today. I yeah, something. but then it gets to the point where mailing the check out costs more <laughs> than what the check. is.
0: yeah no I know God Seinfeld did a whole thing on that right he had a whole bunch of what two dollar checks he's like my hand
1: hurts (laughs) I'm signing these stupid worthless checks what the fuck that's hilarious but yeah so me and Ed me and Ed are cool um, yeah I mean that that was that was an experience but that for me is what kicked off me playing bass Mm. you know because I was like Okay, I'm caring too much about this show. I need to. I, I need to have something else uh, that 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 I'm passionate about, like and something I won't turn into a career. Because acting started out as a career, directing started out as a career. Um, I need to do something that I will not turn into a career.
0: Why not?
1: Why 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 something that won't become a career? Um, because I think at the time, I honestly at the time I didn't want to. I felt like I needed a hobby. Okay. So if I could use bass as a hobby and go practice scales to a metronome in my dressing room to be my zen, then, you know, I'll never. It's just private. Yeah. It won't get wrecked by an industry. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll I'll never record a CD. I'll never start a band. Why bass and not guitar? Because at the time, I thought bass would be easier. (laughs) <laughs> at the time, I thought I can see now. Mm-hmm. He's like, now that I'm in it, <laughs> I thought. Well, I mean,
0: anything could be easy if you're not trying to be great at it. To be great at the yeah. bass or anything is hard. Yeah,
1: but so what I what I realized is I don't I don't I don't really know how to have a hobby, <laughs> right? Because then the, the 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 bass turned into I ended up starting a band, right? Then I started doing shows, but Every time I was doing a show, I'd come out of pocket like two or three hundred dollars. Because once I paid the band, once I paid the videographer, once I had spent money on print and advertising, I was coming out of pocket two or three hundred dollars every gig. So I was like, I need to sell a CD after the gig to kind of make up for some of that. But I had no original music. We were doing covers, like we were doing uh, uh, "Love Rears This Ugly Head" and Equinox, yes. like a blues tune. So. I was like, I need some, I need original material. And because I was already doing poetry, but not doing poetry with my band, because I want the poetry and the music to be separate, I decided, well, you know, I need to do poetry with my band. I need to write music and do poetry over my music. Now I've got original music and I can sell a CD. And once I once I infused the poetry with my band. Then that's when like shit took off. And I was gigging all the time. I was doing jazz festivals, jazz cruises, um, you know, put out some more albums, uh, <laughs>
0: got a Grammy in 2015. What's the hard what's the hardest part of the bass of being good at it?
1: I mean, there's groove, there's timing, there's harmonic knowledge. There's melodic now. There's, like, the whole thing, like, I figured with bass, because with bass, like, pianos, piano players, they need to know chords, and guitar players need to know chords. Well, if I play bass, all I have to do is just play, like, the one note, play the root. Yeah. Right, exactly. Once I started playing, I was like, oh, just playing, the, the, like, like, any noob can do that. Like, if I'm trying to be a bass player, I have to study the language of music. Yes, and I also knew that I wanted to be able to play with good musicians because I knew actors who played and had bands, mm-hmm. and people were just like they were like. Mm. Mm-hmm. So I was like, "Well, I need to, I need to study the language of music so I could have respect from musicians, mm. and I could play with good musicians who want to play with me because they understand that I take it seriously." So that's when I got into the the, the nuts and bolts and the minutia of. What bass playing is and I was like oh yeah I need to know uh theory I need to know how chords are constructed I need to know uh what else to play other than the root then then it became this this really exciting journey that I'm still on sure of course you'll learn forever yeah exactly what does eating healthy
0: mean to you From Tinderfoot TV, Campside Media, and iHeart Podcasts, Radical is available now. Listen to the new podcast Radical for free on the iHeart Radio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah. Who I was listening to Bootsy Collins this morning. I love his music. What is who is on your
1: Mount Rushmore of bassists? Uh, Larry Graham, mm. Marcus Miller and Decky cello mm. um, And what's funny, when I was a kid, the first record I stole from my mother's record collection was Graham Central Station.
0: Mm.
1: When I was, like, 11, you know, I was, the Latchkey, you know, we were part of the Latchkey mm-hmm. generation, Latchkey mm-hmm. kid generation. Gen X, hell yeah. So my mom would be at work, I'd come home, and before I would do, like, my homework or chores, I'd put on the two records I'd put on, uh, The Many Facets of Roger, uh-huh. Roger Troutman, uh-huh. and Luther Vandross's Never Too Much album. And I would play that album, right? And it wasn't until I got interested in bass and started playing bass and learned about Marcus Miller. And then I found out that Marcus Miller had played on Never Too Much, uh-huh. that that whole album, uh-huh. and then found out that Marcus Miller played on Tutu and played with Miles. And I've been listening to Marcus Miller, my whole life, and had no idea that I would end up being a bass player. So I often say that ultimately bass chose me. Sure. Because that was the thing that had gravitated You were already gravitating toward great bass from the beginning. I had no idea that I would end up. Because I didn't start playing bass until Malcolm and Eddie. Right? Okay. Okay. So I had no idea that, you know, uh, that I would end up playing the instruments. Because
0: a lot of times the bass. Is a little is it, it's subtle. I I mean we know the vocalist, we know the keyboardist, the guitarist is is all up in the yeah yeah the drummer. Sometimes you really have to listen for what the bass is doing. It's a little more of a subtle yeah tone on top of or underneath things yeah,
1: yeah, rather support.
0: than in your face. So it's interesting you went you no know, past all the the people who are like look at me, look
1: at me, like no no him, yeah. But here's the thing. It's kinda of like my life. Like I'm a Leo, right? So Leos are known for you know wanting to be out there and wanting the attention. But then there's some Leos who like, I can get the attention if I want. Right? So let's go back, let's go back to the teenage Malcolm on this number one show. Yeah, I could I could be out there. I could I could fuck all these chicks if I want, but I'm a chill. Bass is the same kind of temperament mm. because you know, you can go out there and you can be the lead. Like Marcus is he's the lead, Victor Wooten, Like you can do that um, when you choose to, but then you can just play, you play the low. You play the support. Let everybody else, you know, get their thing off. And really, what what, what people don't necessarily know is bass is really what controls uh, the harm the bass dictates the harmonic function of a tune. Sting says it best. A chord isn't a chord until I play the root. Interesting. If that makes sense. Well, For those of us who aren't, yeah. speaking of okay. music, help, yeah. help us understand better. So, uh, I'm getting into music theory and everything. Like, uh, a let's take a chord, like a C major chord. A chord, a C major chord is uh, three notes. Okay. Right? Uh, and in order, C, E, and G is a C major chord okay C being the root. So when everything about chords, you know, you name the chord by its root. But the way music works, that C chord, if you put a different note like if you put an a to the left of that C chord, now it's become an A minor chord. Mm-hmm. Like that's how music works. So you could be playing a C chord all day long, but if I put another root on it, it becomes another chord. Mm-hmm. So there is a certain, there's a certain command that the bass player has that nobody even knows. Mm. There's so much command and so much control that the bass player has, and he's playing the low.
0: You're, a low. You're, you're educating me because I always thought of the bass as—I mean, obviously he is or she is the rhythm section, mm-hmm. right? Working with the drummer, yeah. And I didn't really think about a harmonic relationship. And I'm like, so they're right—the the singer, the guitarist, the keyboardist—they're doing the harmony. You, the, the drummer and the bassist are doing the rhythm, but you're like,
1: no, no, it's a little bit more. The, drum, the, the, the bass is the instrument that does both. He's got to keep the rhythmic timing, and he's also got to, he's the bottom. The bass is the, is, is the foundation of harmony. So mm. it's the bass player who's got to control both. Anybody else, any other instrument uh, can play a wrong note, and you're fine. Any other instrument can be off. Timing can be off, and you're fine. If the bass player's rhythm is off, everybody knows it. If the bass player hits a wrong note, everybody knows it. So the the the, the bass function is... Uh, it can be argued that it's the most important function Interesting. in the music, in the live bass setting. Interesting. So this instrument that I thought was... Easy. The easiest <laughs> instrument is the instrument that has the most responsibility. But isn't that like
0: life? You thought you were taking the easy path and it was the hardest yeah, one? That, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> isn't that yeah. just the way that shit goes? Yes. Yeah.
1: And that's the and that, that's, also, that's the beauty of life.
0: Um, you, know? you know, I ask everybody who comes on this show, what does being black mean to you? And it's interesting to address that question with you because... If, if, if you do a montage of what people think about that, you would end up in that montage. If we go to the Black Smithsonian Museum in D.C., like, we're going to see your face, right? So just curious, like, what does being black
1: mean to you? Wow, that's an awesome question. For me personally, given my journey, given my path, given my career, given what I'm known for, given everything that my father instilled in me long before Cosby, um, there is—and and, and what I take on as an, as an artist, as a creative— there is a certain responsibility that being black means for me in terms of being in a world, being in a society where black people are systematically made to feel, uh, second class Mm -hmm. that the universe has given me a platform and a voice to in whatever way I can combat that Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, to be able to even be an example if you will Mm -hmm for young black kids or or peers, you know, when we were young, or you should even peers now as as Mm -hmm. adults, Mm -hmm. being able to show that we don't have to conform or submit to society's conditioning Mm. Um, there is a, I mean, so to me, the, the, that's a responsibility that I feel greatly. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, my my dad set me up because he named me after Malcolm X and Ahmad Jamal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, during my summer vacations as a kid, my dad would make, he had this stick this book called Great American Negro. Mm-hmm. And yeah, had of these, course. you know, the chapters on Richard Langston, yeah. Mary McLeod, and he used to make me write these book reports during my summer vacation, and I hated it. Like I'm trying to play, fuck. And it wasn't until I got older that I understood what he was doing, mm. and and I think the the, the it um, it registered from the light bulb went off. I was in fifth grade. I had this book my dad gave me, poems on the life and death of Malcolm X. And I put that you have the book on my my desk in fifth grade. And these kids would kind of tease me and like, oh, oh, somebody wrote a book about you, ha ha ha. And I'm in fifth grade and I realize, oh, these kids don't know who Malcolm X is. And if they're reading po- if they're reading poems, they're not reading poems as sophisticated as what I'm reading. So I understood, you know, what my father was instilling in me. And then once I'm doing Cosby and now I'm a couple of years in and Cosby is this, 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 this this thing, this beacon and has this, this, this impact, this global impact on black people. And I remember being 15. And so the responsibility that comes with that and. And by the time, you know, I'm 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 talking, I'm going to schools to talk to kids, I'm going to churches, I'm doing public speaking. And I was 15, I called my dad, I was like, you set me up. And he laughed. He said, You're damn right. Wow. Like, wow. Okay. And that's something that I've always taken seriously. Um, So when I think about, when I think about like little black boy, like for me, it was, you know, Kareem (laughs) Abdul-Jabbar, you know, um, Muhammad Ali. Like these men who stood, who risked their careers for what they believed in. Like you, you, you change your name Mm. to something else. You stand, you know. Like I don't want to hear nothing about gangster. Ali was fucking gangster. Hell yeah, you know. So growing up, you know, with those guys being heroes, and you know, I I remember being uh, being a, a, a young kid looking up to these men. So I I constantly think about young kids who look up to me. You know so so what what Cosby show gave me was this platform to do this work that my father set me up mm. to do. Mm. He had no idea that I would have this platform, but he set me up to be able to do what I do, so that to me is. I know it's a, it's a long-ass answer No, it's a beautiful to your answer. Question. It's a
0: beautiful answer, and I feel it. Um, I feel it in terms of what I've done. When I started doing TV news, I'm like, we're not going to make jokes. We're not going to be silly because there aren't that many black people out here. So, like, be serious. And I get it. I get this a lot when I fly for some reason. The older generation is like, I see you and something to the effect of you're making us look good. And when I get that from somebody, I'm like, I know you're old enough to remember Max Robinson or the folks who were on TV when there were very, very few black people on TV. And you're coming from that and you're like, you're making us look good. And I'm like. I'm fulfilling the responsibility. Yes, 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 and yes, you, yes, yes. And you, and that whole ensemble, but you were fulfilling that responsibility yes. and taking it to another level. Yeah, yeah. Right? Because you were, I mean, you were definitely using television in a culturally revolutionary way, yeah. right? I mean, when we think about the 80s, you think about Cosby, like, yo, we're going to a beautiful black place, right? And, and, Right. I mean, it was revolutionary for black people at not for black people. Like we're seeing ourselves in this two, uh, two income, two degreed household. Everybody is is trying to be smart. The goal is to go to college. You know, I mean, like good times was great. But this was like, yo, now we're up here. We're beyond the Jeffersons. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah, and we didn't just, right? He, he got it because he got hit. Like, you guys, they worked yeah, yes, yeah, for man. degrees, and now they're raising up the next generation. Yeah.
1: And then you got a generation of of, of, of kids who want to go to black colleges mm. because of what they saw. Mm. Like, I, like I, when my third album, uh, when I put my third album out, 2015, I could not get any press, I could not book any press, on my record, unless I uh, agreed to answer at least one question about Bill Cosby, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so I was like, "Okay, I, I know how to work—you know—work around that." So I did an interview for AP. We spent 25 minutes talking about my career, music. It was—it was a wonderful interview. And then the very last question, the woman said do you think this Cosby controversy has tarnished the legacy of the Cosby show? Mm. And I said, well, of course it has, because now, now they've taken it off the air before when we would, you know, have uh stereotypical images out there, we always had the Cosby show to hold juxtaposed to that. But now that now we don't have that the next day and that's AP, right? So the next day, every headline was Malcolm Jamal Warner says the Cosby legacy has been tarnished. Right. But that's what everybody, that's what everybody went with. I was like, and then I saw Keisha on TV. She did, you know, I don't know what talk show it was. And she, somebody asked her a similar question and she said, no, the legacy of that show can never be tarnished. She said, because, so many kids went to black colleges mm-hmm. because of that school because of that show so many people you know, you know black kids grew up to have loving families because of that show she so was like the impact of that show uh can never be tarnished
0: can we watch it the same way that we
1: used to some some people can some people can't watch it at all i understand Like, I watch with my daughter, and I understand why people, you know, can't watch it. Um, And even those of us who can watch it, sure, we know what's going on, but what's happening in this show is timeless. Sure. And its impact is timeless. Yes. And I watched my daughter watch this show, and it's so surreal because she's even laughing. Mm. You know, it resonates with her, mm. and to the point where it's not, it's not even about me. Like she knows it's me. She's like, "Oh, that that's Papa." But where's Rudy? Of course, you know she wants to see Olivia. And for and for a oh. while, she she used to think the show was called Rudy's Family. Of course. So the 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 impact of the show itself um, is timeless. It's it it's everlasting. You know, um, so just being still being a part of that legacy and whether the show was on or not, we can see in the world what the impact it's had on us as a culture mm-hmm, mm-hmm. globally.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I love that. Yeah, no, I mean, it It sits in my soul. I know it sits in my mother's soul um, as a beautiful reflection of who we are and who we could be. Yeah. Um, and you talk about black colleges, and yeah, you went to NYU, or Theo went to NYU. Yeah. And that the final show was about him graduating yeah. from NYU. So, education yeah. was so critical yeah. that the finale is based around he graduated. Yeah. He started from he can't Indeed. get good grades. Yeah. Right, we learn he's got this, and now he's graduating from. Cause this is the epic moment in all of our lives. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that was a beautiful um, and different world. Meant a lot to me too because I was applying to college or thinking. It, it, I think either I was thinking about it or I was applying when it started airing. So mm. seeing a vision of college, yeah, yeah, yeah. that was fun and fun, yeah. it was like, okay, yeah. let's
1: do this. Yeah.
0: What's up? Yeah,
1: like, like uh, education became cool. Yes. Yeah, so it's that kind of thing. When I think about uh, again, when, when we go back to you know what is being what is black being black mean to me, right? And the responsibility of that, and looking at um, thinking about young black black boys looking up to, uh, you know, me or whoever. No, fuck, it, we're talking about me. So yeah. me, um, and, and and that's one of the reasons why. Like my my album. Hiding in Plain View, is so important. And and, and I would dare say that it's one of the most important albums to come out in 2022. Okay. Um, And I say that because, of course, that's how I feel about my work. But on the record, I have um, Dr. Daniel Black. He's an award-winning novelist. He's the assistant professor of African-American studies Mm. at Clark Atlanta University. Mm. And the album... So I have him all throughout the album. He's just dropping knowledge. You know, in his interspersed through the whole album. And the album is, like, like, so so, so the first track on the album, Dr. Black is talking, and he says, the thing about a black boy is you don't necessarily want to beat a black boy. What you want to do is you want to love him so fiercely. You want to love him so divinely that your disappointment will kill him. Mm. Wow. You want him to adore you so much that the one thing he never wants to do is disappoint you. That's how the album starts out. Deep. Right? So there are, there's so much about this, like this album became, it, 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 was more black as fuck as I had expected, and as, as I set out to do. But it, but it's all, it, you know, it, it's me. I'm, 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 I'm being me. I'm, Is that I'm, how you I'm, parent? That idea? Yeah. 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 Because you know, I, we all came up from a generation where I got beat. You know, yeah. You got beat. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, I you had spent spanked a bunch of times. I, 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 I know more. Then my parents knew. Yes. As parents. And Dr.
0: Right. Poussin, Alvin Poussin, mm. who was part of the Cosby yeah. Show family, was critical in spreading that information of, like, this is why we shouldn't yeah. use corporal yeah. punishment. Yeah. And you'll still catch an argument in the black community about sure. that. I'll bring it up on Twitter every couple of years. Sure. We shouldn't spank our kids. There's a bunch of people who are like, I absolutely agree. I never touched my kids. I agree, I hit my kid once, I felt horrible, I never did it again. Mm-hmm. Then the other side comes. Spare the child, spo- spo- right what is it? Spoil, spoil-, spoil the child, uh, spare the rod, spoil the child. Spare the rod, spoil yeah. the child. Yeah. How better me beat you than you end up in prison. Yeah. That, that's always like, how is it that if I don't beat the child, then the child's going to end up in prison? <laughs> that's, some people think this this is a direct... I don't know how this, this. This is the only two paths. Either beat the child, or he goes to prison. And
1: how many beat children are in
0: prison? And and how many times does anyone mess up at work, and their boss beats them? Right. <laughs> that never yeah. happens. How many? Yeah. That never
1: happens. Yeah, yeah. I, and I make the running joke sometimes. Like you know, my daughter like you know, do something frustrating. They're like, watch one day, one day she gonna get it. You're going to get it. You I'm, said that? No, I, I say it to my wife. Like, yeah. Yeah, I joke to my wife. Like, yeah. One day, watch. One day, it's going to happen. And I, I'm I'm halfway joking, but, you know, whatever's having moment. Like, I'm, I'm halfway joking, but I'm kind of like, it might happen one day. And my wife just said, okay, try it. <laughs> and, and and let's see how you feel afterwards.
0: Mm, interesting. Yeah. Interesting. See, she's using that on you. Yeah. I will be disappointed in you. No, And no, you'll be disappointed you in yourself. yourself. Yeah,
1: yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So it was like, I can't even. I can't even make that joke now. <laughs> she took the power of that joke away. Aww. Because I think about them, like, I can't see being my child. It's not a child. Not It's a child. It's traumatizing. And we don't realize our own trauma behind that.
0: You yeah. you are two or three times her size. Exactly. My father was, God rest his soul, way bigger than me when I was four or five, and I screwed up whatever I did, and he grabbed me and he would whack me on the butt, and he meant to hurt. Right, that's what we did in the seventies, and um, it was traumatizing. You know what? You know what he used to do? Because I would sometimes I would I would maybe I. Said or did something that had hurt or annoyed my mother in the afternoon, right? So she's yeah. like, okay, when your father comes home, you're going to get it. So I'm sitting there waiting yeah. for the beating. Yes. Yes. And yes. then he 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 pulls it to the, to the garage. So you hear the garage door go, oh, here it comes. And the garage door was loud. Rrr. Oh, oh here, here it comes. Right and then it there. goes down. Rrr. Oh, here oh. it comes. And then she got there and he did, he come in all mad you did what you said what oh bam bam so there was all this whole emotional prelude yeah. to the beating yeah. and all that traumatic traumatic like and i mean they didn't realize we didn't have the information at that time
1: yeah yeah, yeah.
0: so i don't blame them for no, dealing no, with yeah. the information they had at that time i don't judge
1: them yeah. but um it's traumatizing yeah yeah, yeah. um So just just what I was saying about about the record, um, and again about the the, the responsibility and, and what have you, um, and I think the importance of this this record, like like this record, has an opportunity for us to uh, reexamine our approach to raising black boys, mm. which will have an impact on how black boys relate to each other Absolutely. and how they relate to black girls of course which then has an impact on how black men relate to each other and black women, women. Mm-hmm. and there's this self-healing that mm-hmm. uh that the album that, that that I really explore on the album mm-hmm. and I tell people that this album hiding in plain view is for us, I say us, I say it's for black boys, it's for black men, Mm. it's for black people, it's for non-black people who have the foresight enough to see that our self-healing is an invitation for them to explore their own necessary healing. Mm. Like it's a, like that's how, that's how seriously I take the responsibility of being an artist and like I said, you know, doing the work that my father started. Yeah.
0: What's the title mean?
1: Hiding in plain view. It's. And then, so there's, there's a poem on the album. That's the title track. Hiding in plain view. And it's about vulnerability and how, we all will hide parts of us that we think someone might not like. Mm. So we all do this dance where we all wear these masks, right, to mask these certain parts that we don't think people might not like. And it says, you know, vulnerability can be a scary thing even when you're on the mend. Mm. Black boys boast bravado not to seem broken, and often so do black men. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. God, you know, Brene Brown said something about vulnerability that blew my mind, that you have to be strong to be vulnerable. And I had never really realized that. I was like, vulnerability means you're showing weakness. Yes, but you have to be strong enough to be willing to show the weakness. And I think a lot of times we get so beat upon
1: by society that we're like, well, I'm not showing weakness. I only show strength, right? And and, and to the point, one of the things Dr. Black talks about on this album is how vulnerability... Is what's missing in the black father son relationship, mm, oh. right? Because we're still we're still in survival mode. So it's like in survival mode, there's no room for vulnerability because we have to focus on these things here. So we walk through life not wanting to be vulnerable. We like, again, we walk through life with this bravado because we feel like you know showing vulnerability is is, is, is weak. It's so I really feel like 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 you know this 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 album invites another way of looking at how we uh, you know how like I said how we how we raise black boys. He does this whole thing about hip hop um, where he <laughs> he proposes that hip hop is a cry. From wounded youth. Interesting. Boys who sure. have been abandoned by black fathers and black men. And though the messages don't come out in, you know, fuck you, dad, fuck you, dad. But there's this unexpressed oh, rage.
0: Oh, that's all throughout hip hop.
1: Yeah. yeah. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. And oftentimes these black boys don't even know what they're enraged about. It's mm. it's a, real, it, it's, a it's, it's a, I think it's an important lesson.
0: Thanks so much to Malcolm Jamal Warner for a great interview, and thanks to you for listening. Torre Show gives you fuel to power your dreams because you can use your dreams like a rocket ship to blast you into a life you never imagined. You can make your dreams a reality. Maybe this show can help. You can find me on Twitter at Toray and on Instagram at Torre Show. Toray shows written by me, Toray, and produced by Jennifer Brown. Our editor is Ryan Woodhall. Our photographers are Chuck Marcus and Shanta Covington and Nick Karp. Our booker is Claudia Jean. And we're distributed by DCP Entertainment. And we will be back on Wednesday with more amazing guests because the man can't shut us down.